you might be wondering why on earth would we choose that passage, this passage today. The thing is that we've been working through Matthew's Gospel for a few uh, weeks now, starting uh, a couple of chapters ago, and this just happens to be the, the set of words that we get today. Um, so don't worry, you haven't entered a, some sort of time warp. Um, now, hmm, let's see if we can get this to work. Is it coming? Probably, is the answer. Okay. So most of you, I'm sure, would have thought about Palm Sunday, uh, whether that was in Sunday school uh, or at some other point in, the, uh, in your life. And you might have come across pictures like this of Jesus riding a donkey with lots of people, uh, crowds around him being terribly happy. And yet, I'm not terribly convinced that this is very helpful somehow. I'm not convinced that Jesus had such a coiffured beard to start with. I don't think he was as glum as he looks in this one. Uh, I'm not that convinced that he was in Jerusalem. So let's try and find, because uh, I think he was on the way to Jerusalem. Let's have a think about maybe a slightly different view of the same scene. A view that gives us a much more of a focus on the people uh, and on the celebration that this was. Now it's worth putting this passage in a little bit of context. Um, we need to go back a few verses to before where we started today, and this is the last set of verses before this. This is when Jesus and his followers were leaving Jericho, uh, and they came across two blind men, and they called out, the, the blind men called out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And they were healed, and they joined the crowd following from Jericho. And then the next verses we had was that Jesus was almost at Jerusalem. And so, this is quite hard to see, but um, Jericho is this one here. It's at minus 825 feet, so 825 feet below sea level. Uh, That's why the Dead Sea is dead, because it doesn't flow out anywhere. Um, And that's the Dead Sea there. And then Jerusalem is up there at 2,540 feet, 20 miles away. So it's a bit like climbing Snowdon, in terms of that distance above sea level, in 20 miles. That's what that crowd were doing... But equally, as they walked, I can imagine they talked about this healing of two blind people. They asked the two guys, why did you call Jesus, um, what were those words, son of David? Why did you want him to have mercy on you? What's going on there? And they talked and they talked and they talked. And so when they get to Jerusalem, 20 miles later, 3,000 feet higher up in the air, um, they would have said they were at a point where they were able to respond And what we get in terms of response is the crowd's words. Hosanna to the son of David. Notice it's son of David, like we had before. Um, But blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which is a quote from Psalm 118. And then Hosanna. And Hosanna means saves. Hosanna in the highest. So saving comes from the highest, if you like. But equally, is it that Jesus saves? And then there's that question of, what did Jesus save them from? What were they expecting Jesus to do in terms of saving them? You have to remember at this point that the people of Israel were under occupation. The Romans were in charge. And so perhaps they were thinking, Jesus will save us from the Romans. And so restore home rule. Perhaps they were thinking um, something else when they talk about Hosanna in the highest heaven. And actually this is something about the appearance of Jesus the Messiah the one who comes to save us from our rebellion against God. Now, in terms of why I think that all this happened on the way to Jerusalem rather than in Jerusalem, 
is because it's only at the end there that you get when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole crowd, the whole city was stirred. And if you're an occupying force, one place you put your soldiers is on the gates to the city. And I can't imagine any Roman soldier going, oh, here's a noisy crowd coming with a chap on a donkey, we'll just let them in. I can imagine them saying, no, you've got to take yourself off the donkey, and Jesus goes in. And if you look at the way it's presented in the other Gospels too, the other lives, uh, stories of the life of Jesus, it's the same, that actually each time the action happens, and then Jesus enters Jerusalem. <clears throat> so, I find this to be quite an intriguing story, partly because of the whole question about prophecy. Um, at the beginning of the passage, uh, talked uh, a bit about um, how, how Jesus did this so that something was fulfilled. Prophecy is about, in Old Testament terms, is about telling out something that will happen in the future. It's slightly different to a word of knowledge where I can perhaps, or God tells somebody something that only God could tell them about a present situation, whereas prophecy is generally a, a foretelling of what's happening in the future. So some of the prophecies about Jesus, he had no option but to fulfill, so, or, or choice about fulfilling. So, for example, where Jesus was born, um, if you think yourself back to Christmas for a minute, um, this is the part of the Christmas narrative uh, where the wise people turn up, the magi turn up and talk to Herod and say, well, we've come to, 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 to visit the king. And Herod asks his advisors, and the advisors say, well, it's going to be in Bethlehem. It's clear, it's in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but actually Jesus himself had no choice about that. It was where his mum landed up. Um, there are other passages, there are other bits of prophecy, if you like, um, that, such as how Jesus would die or his resurrection, um, that, that give you, that, that again, Jesus, I think, couldn't really um, preempt. He couldn't decide this was going to happen. But there, again, there are, st- there are things, though, like Jesus' habit of talking in parables, that are prophesied in the Old Testament, that perhaps you could argue that Jesus deliberately chose to live like that and to talk in parables, you know, stories that people find hard to understand or apparently find hard, um, because that's how it was predicted that the Messiah would be. And so then you get yourself to this passage where actually Jesus isn't just saying things but doing something doing something that um, is a deliberate activity that deliberately fulfills a prophecy about him. And I find that quite intriguing. And I'm not, maybe I've not really thought about this before, but I just find that that's quite um, a, a challenging thing to, to, to think about. So let's think ourselves through the story. This is um, Jesus, uh, this is the passage we've just read. Uh, a couple of miles from Jerusalem, they came to Bethage, uh, and Jesus says to his friends, his followers, go, go to the village and find a couple of donkeys. Well, a donkey and its foal, so its baby. Um, so they go off. Uh, but then Matthew comments, this is to, to, to fulfill what was spoken. This is, the, this is what I'm saying here, that this was a deliberate thing to fulfill Zechariah. But notice what isn't sort of clearly said, unless you read the Zechariah passage. 
This is about a king coming gently, riding on a donkey. If the king came on a horse, in Old Testament terms, the king was coming to conquer. If the king came on a donkey, then the king was coming in peace, coming to bring peace to the community. So here you have Jesus deliberately choosing to echo and to to fulfill that statement that Jesus as the king, and Jesus didn't often claim to be king. He talked about being the son of God or the son of man. Um, But anyway, Jesus as the king comes to you gentle riding on a donkey. Now there's problems here because the version that we get is and on a colt. So was Jesus riding two animals at once? Let's, let's think about that for a minute. Um, there's two beautiful animals. Uh, the disciples put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. Did Jesus sit on them, the cloaks, or them, the donkey, and the colt? So perhaps it was like this. Did Jesus come like that? Or that maybe just gives me an excuse to give you the Jean-Claude Van Damme view of life. You remember that old Volvo advert, surely? If you're a tech head, but anyway. Or maybe it was like that. Some pack wags have suggested it was like that, that Jesus sat on the donkey, on the, the colt who was on the donkey. But probably it was more like that. Probably. Who knows, you know. Baby foal trots along alongside its mum because mum is mum, really. Who knows? Um, but I think one of the problems is that Let's go back a bit. When Matthew quotes, where is it there, and on a cult, Matthew's quoting from a version of the Old Testament which was originally written in Hebrew that had been translated to Greek that then he was reading, even though he was a basically an Aramaic, Aramaic speaker. So he was in his third language already, and then it gets translated again into English. And so, in a sense, of course, there's going to be some uh, difficulties... Uh, at times. So, when you actually go back to Zechariah these days, it doesn't say and, it just says on. Ride low and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a donkey. So, um, anyway, it's a bit of a sidewinder. You, uh, if you were clear, if you were noticing at the beginning, you would have noticed that I talked about um, a headline here of be more donkey. And you might think, what on earth do I mean by that? But I think there are lots of lessons to learn from that donkey. I think that we could be people who clearly serve the purposes of Jesus. That donkey, or its foal, or both, whichever we were thinking about here, was a donkey that was had no life intention, life goal to be the donkey that Jesus the King of Kings would sit on. It just so happened that he was in the right place at the right time. But having been in the right place at the right time, so the donkey then gets sat on by Jesus. Now, not be more donkey, but he sat on by Jesus, but, but more that sense of serving Jesus, more that sense of, of somehow being part of Jesus' story is how we're called to be. To be people who, as it were, bend our will to the will of Jesus, who is, as Paul says, Jesus is our reasonable service, somebody who we're called to bring life and honour to. But back before that, you have to recognise that the donkey, in Old Testament terms, has its life 
because another being has lost its life. Let me explain. Back in Exodus chapter 34, um, we read this. The firstborn of every womb belongs to me, says Jesus, says God, including the firstborn males of your livestock, whether from herd or flock. So redeem the firstborn donkey with a lamb. Now, needs a bit of explanation here. Who's watched or know the story of the slaves in Egypt coming out from Egypt and going into freedom in the promised land, uh, freedom in, in, in the wilderness, going out, you know, like uh, Moses, Prince of Egypt type film type stuff, yeah? Okay, most of you have seen that, okay? So you would recall that Moses uh, turns up at Pharaoh's house and says, Pharaoh, let my people go. And um, Pharaoh says, no. So then, involve, then follows 10 plagues, and the 10th and worst one was that all of the firstborn males in Egypt, in, of the humans and the animals, died when the angel of death came to visit one night. However, the firstborn males of the Israelites didn't, and the way that they were differentiated was that the Israelites were told to take a lamb, kill it, and put the blood on the doorpost. So when the angel of death turned up, they went, oh, I won't go into that house, we'll go into the next house. So they passed over, the angel of death passed over those houses. But it was be- so the Israelites had life because a lamb died to provide the lamb's blood to go on the doorposts. Yes? All with me so far? So later... So that was about Exodus 12. Later, in that same book, God says then, actually, you have to recognise that all the firstborn males belong to me. But for a donkey, so that means you kind of dedicate them to God. And in Old Testament terms, dedication is about offering up as a sacrifice. But God recognised the kind of value of donkeys. And he said, instead of killing off the donkey, you can offer a lamb instead. Now, this has quite significant interactions for us, doesn't it? Because actually, when we get to Jesus, there's lots of discussion about Jesus being the one true perfect sacrifice, the sacrificial lamb that died for the sins of the whole world. So, if we're going to be more like donkey or more donkey, then actually we, are re- we, we need to recognise that donkeys were redeemed by the death of a lamb. And in the same way, we can be redeemed, we can be saved from hell, frankly, by the death of Jesus. Let me give you a quick illustration. This might help. If this hand represents me, and this hand represents God, we were designed to be in right relationship with each other. However, my rebellion against God separates me from God, so I can't really negotiate or talk with God anymore. That's sort of maybe a record of, I don't know, today's sins, today's ways of rebelling against God. Bible talks about Jesus being fully God, coming to earth and being fully human too. And then when he died, he took on him, it says, the sins of the whole world and dealt with them. So that then we are free to be in right relationship with God again. And that's how it is that we can think of Jesus as the one true perfect sacrifice, 
Because he's the one that took on him the sins of the whole world, whereas in Old Testament terms, it was always a life for a life, a redeemer life for one life. Whereas because Jesus was completely perfect and without sin, and if you're a mathematician, think of dividing by zero, um, you then have that sense of Jesus taking on him the sins of the whole world. And yet he had no sins, and so actually he managed to cancel out all our sins. Uh, all our rebellion, so that we are free to accept that offer from God of life with him. So, the donkey is redeemed by the death of a lamb. We too can be redeemed because of the death of Jesus on a cross. And that's why we have a cross in every, every church building. And many people wear crosses these days as a way of reminding themselves of just what happened to Jesus so that we can have life, meaning, hope, purpose on this earth as well as for the future. Finally, in terms of a theme, I suspect if you've been thinking about a donkey, you've possibly edged away and thought about Shrek. Yes? How many of you thought about the donkey? That was not a Disney innovation it is in the Bible the original talking donkey turns up in Dumbas chapter 22 that's serious go and look at it when you get home if you want you can't read this, uh, it's too small a print but basically what happened was that um, a chap called Balaam had a donkey and Balaam was supposed to be a prophet so one of those who told out about the future and yet he um, he basically made it up for a bit instead of listening to what God was saying. And so they were going down a narrow pathway with walls on both sides. And God said, right, I'm going to send my angel to stand in front of the donkey and in front of Balaam. And um, the donkey wouldn't shift any further forward because the donkey could see that this angel was there. But Balaam being Balaam was, was a bit thick, so he didn't didn't see, so he then beat the donkey and told it to, come on, move move forward. Uh, And eventually, yeah, I know this sounds a bit far-fetched, but basically, God gave the donkey the power of speech. But there again, if you've just seen an angel of God, you know, nothing's impossible. Um, God gave the donkey power of speech, and the donkey told Balaam, this is what's going on. There was this angel in front of me. You know, I stopped because I didn't want you to run it. I didn't want us both to run into him. Um, and then, and actually, it was an angel of um, an angel that was that was a destroying angel, one to come to kill them. But actually, it didn't kill either of them. Um, so, what am I trying to say by this? The donkey could see what was happening spiritually, whereas Balaam only saw what was happening in the physical. So, if we're going to be more donkey, perhaps we need to think about how can we see in the spiritual. So somehow, I I want to link the wisdom of God into that as well. So, for example, here's another little passage that comes from the Old Testament, which is a little bit, um, one of those that's quite interesting to challenge, to think about. Um, So there's a chap called Elisha, who again is a prophet, a teller out of the future of God. And he and his servant are in a town. They wake up one morning and the servant goes out to look out and says, goodness gracious me, there's a massive army out there. We're surrounded we may as well give up now. Um, but Elijah, Elisha sorry, uh, said, no, 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 no. The angel of the God is with us. 
And so, as you see here, he says he prayed, and he says, he prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and he saw the hills, so not just the, the space in front of the city, but the hills around were full of horses and chariots of fire. As in the chariots of... It's not chariots of fire, it's not... It's not... Dun, 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 dun. It's, it's the God's army, a spiritual army that was also encamped further around this physical army that was trying to attack Elisha. And Elisha had prayed, open his eyes, Lord. So if we want to see in the spirit, we need to pray. We need to ask God for that. Does that make sense so far? And again, in James chapter 1, James is in the New Testament. Um, He basically says, look there, if you lack wisdom, ask God. Not hard, is it? Please, sir, I'm feeling a bit foolish. Can you give me some wisdom? Um, or is it madam? Anyway, let's move on. Um, again, you could read uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians is one of those early church letters to the church at Ephesus. Um, Paul, who wrote this, uh, was an apostle. He, he'd seen Jesus. Uh, he'd seen visions for himself. And anyway, he, his prayer for the church, and I suspect we could claim this prayer for us, is that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know him better. His other prayer was that uh, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so you know the hope to which he's called you. There's something about seeing spiritually in this. Not necessarily physically imagining or, or thinking that you see an angel in front of you, but actually recognizing the reality that we are people who don't just live on this earth, but we're people who are called to respond to God's love and to discover that that love lasts for an eternity, that life with God can start today but carries on through eternity after our death. So um, that's why I said before that uh, maybe if we're going to be more donkey, you need to think of, we need to think about finding the wisdom of God and seeing spiritually. So there's the summary. Let's be more donkey. Serve the purposes of God, of Jesus. Be redeemed by Jesus, the true lamb. Find the wisdom of God, but also let's pray to see spiritually. Ah, oh, yes. And at heart, it's all about knowing, knowing, not knowing, but knowing, knowing in our hearts as well as in our heads that we're loved by God. And just to tie this to Esme, Esme, I'm told by the wonderful resource that is Wikipedia, is derived from the French word Esme, loved, past participle of the verb Esme, to love. So in other words, Esme is named as one who is loved. So that's my prayer for Esme this morning, that she would indeed know that she is loved by God, but equally for all of you, that we discover much more of this love of God. And a pretty picture to end with. If you can't do anything about donkeys, just be more rather than do more. But that's a different issue, different story. Adele. Go back to that. Thank you. 
I'm not sure I can pray for us to be more donkey, but... <laughs> and I thought, not of Shrek, but Midsummer Night's Dream and Bottom, Martin. <laughs> no. no, it was great. The illustrations are great. Let, let us pray, because I'm sure that God, through his Holy Spirit, wants to speak to us today. Father God, we thank you for your Old Testament prophets and seers, those who were sensitive to your prompting, who saw things that would come to be. And we thank you, Lord, that so many of those prophecies, so many of those things that were seen thousands of years before came to pass in the life and death and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ whose death opened the door and allowed us to be reconciled to you, Lord. Truths for each one of us. That Jesus saves us from our sins. And opens the way for us to have fullness of life in God. destroys all the things that hold us down and get in the way. All those things that lead us to death or destruction. And I loved that reminder of the gentleness of God. Because we have a God who is just that, who doesn't barge in, but who waits to be invited and then comes to us in gentleness and with delight, longing, longing for us to notice he is there with us. I thank you, Lord, for all that you've done in my life, for all that you've done in the lives of the people gathered here and in this church. And may we be attentive now to what you are saying to each of us in the way that we know you are speaking to us. And may we have the boldness to seek prayer, to change our lives, or to step out and acknowledge you for the first time. Ask these things through Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>